Welcome to Precon Geeks, the podcast where precon folks geek out on all things pre-construction. Every week, we'll talk about trends impacting the construction industry and emerging tech. You can also tune in to hear exclusive interviews with industry experts. Excited to hear more? Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts now and visit www.beck-technology.com. Welcome back to the Precon Geeks brought to you by Beck Technology. I'm your host, Jared Draper, and I'm joined with my co-host, John Reich. John, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jared. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, I think I say this before every podcast, but I'm incredibly excited about this one because we are joined today by the president of Beck Technology, Stuart Carroll. Stuart, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm great. Uh, always find it funny when I'm introduced as the president. I sound uh, so prim and proper. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's an honor to have you, and we're excited to kind of talk through a little bit of history of who you are, a little bit of history of Beck Tech, um, and then really just kind of what Beck Tech is all about uh, and what we find is important as a company. Um, so with that said, um, I've always been curious personally, and I haven't been with Beck Tech for very long, but I've always been curious, how did you get into construction? So my grandfather was a carpenter. Um, he was in the military during the war. And uh, after the D-Day landings, actually followed the frontline troops rebuilding the bridges that the Germans had bombed. Oh, wow. And I remember growing up, sitting on my grandfather's knee, um, as a lot of little kids do, hearing their grandparents tell them stories. And my grandfather's stories often were about the war and how he his view was he wasn't really um, building bridges. He was rebuilding Europe. Hmm. And um, I always was excited about construction, primarily for my grandfather's stories. Um, after the war, there was a lot of cities in, in England that had been completely leveled. Hmm. And he always used to talk about, you know, there's a, there's a canvas and it wasn't building buildings. It was rebuilding societies. Hmm. And um, that was sort of my, my, my formative years. I, I um, have a undergraduate degree and a graduate degree from the university of Iowa in computer science. So my original go to school was, was not to, to get into construction, but when I got done, with school and I thought about well, where can I apply this construction definitely was at the top of my list. Yeah. How can I use this technology to help, you know, make, make societies better. Yeah. So that was sort of the connection, my grandfather and stories to computer science to, well, how do I make a living? Mm -hmm. And, um, that was sort of how I ended up in construction. So what was your first role within, within a construction company? Well, when I was in grad school, I got into um, simulation. So I first started in grad school working on something called the National Advanced Driving Simulator. And it was about how do you use computers to simulate the, the real world. Um, my first job after grad school was for a company that was doing building simulation. Mm -hmm. So 3D modeling of, of buildings. Think of Revit, but maybe 10 years earlier yeah. in the UK. Um, and it was exciting to me that you could make mistakes mm -hmm. as, a, as a planner mm -hmm. on a computer rather than actually as, you know, as you're building or you know, post-occupancy regretting the mistakes that have been made. 
So um, that's sort of how I got into this, why I thought it was important. Um, The ability to simulate, you know, what's going to be and try and come up with better solutions. I was Mm. also one of those kids growing up that used to drive, I went to Catholic school, drove the nuns nuts. I was always asking the why questions. Yeah. And part of my my nature is, well, why can't we make it better? Mm. You know, why 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 is that the way it has to be? Yeah. And I, I kind of always looked at simulation as a way of testing the proposed plan, mm. and then collectively coming up with ways to make it better. Yeah. Um, you know, why does it have to be that way? Why is the structure metal instead of concrete? Why is the HVAC system mm. one way or another? It sounds like. And I know I didn't come at construction from a technology perspective, but it sounds like early on, technology and construction kind of went hand in hand for you. It, it, well, it was, I'm a tech geek. Yeah. I, I love technology. It was what, what I loved doing as a kid. I was the introverted kid who used to find his home playing with technology. Um, it was my way, I think, of connecting two things in my life that mm. I was super passionate about. The thing that my grandfather had kind of put in my formative years with what I was interested in. Yeah. And out of that came, well, this is the way that you can make the built environment better. Yeah. That's interesting. So fast forward, um, however many years, and I don't know that, um, you, (laughs) you were at, uh, the Beck group and this is how Beck tech started. If I'm understanding that correctly. And if you could just walk us through a little bit of how Beck technology started. Well, I'm going to go back a little, little further even than that. So I actually met Peter Beck. Um, when I was working for a startup in the UK. So after after college, I went back to the UK and worked for a startup called the Building Modeling Company. Okay. They had a product called Reflex. And Reflex was, in essence, uh, a 3D modeling tool ahead of its time, ahead of Revit and other kind of 3D modeling tools. Peter, um, I bumped into it in our office in the UK, mm-hmm. and he was introduced to me as an American uh, owner of a construction company. I remember I was thought in my memory, he had a cowboy hat, but he didn't, <laughs> but he definitely had cowboy boots. Um, and was introduced to me as a, as a, a, an owner of a construction company that was looking for a better way of, of building buildings. Yeah. So that was about 94, 95. Um, and in Peter's mind, it was, we take on so much risk as mm. construction companies. We inherit designs. We inherit decisions from owners around budgets and schedules. And when we come to the table as construction companies, we're often handicapped. We're often handcuffed in what we can and we can't do. Mm. We got good people with good culture, with good intentions. But because those decisions have been made, we can't necessarily make the best decisions to give you the best outcome. Yeah. So Peter's um, goal was, well, how do, how does my company, the Beck group get involved a lot earlier? And in his mind, it's initially, well, how do we get involved in the design phase? Um, they tried some partnerships with, with architecture companies, tried design build, and it's better. Don't get me wrong. It's better than just getting brought to the table late and, and building it. Yeah. But he, I think his epiphany was there's decisions that are made even before the designer, they're made by the developer, they're made by the bank, they're made by the owner, that if we could get involved right at the very project inception and we could bring what's the cost, what's the schedule to the decision making mm-hmm. and have this, this set of tools that would enable us to make rapid you know, 
decisions. Yeah. We could try every permutation and come up with the best project. And then we could build the best project with the best outcome. So um, Peter was looking around the world for, well, if we had the people to do that, how do we enable them with tools? Mm -hmm. So I got first introduced to Peter looking for technology. But when I later did, uh, found out really his, his big goal was to revolutionize construction yeah. by bringing decision-making um, a lot earlier and bringing the right people to the table, I got really excited because it wasn't, it was no longer developed technology and find a, you know, like field of dreams, build it, right. come. it was, <laughs> he really understood that if we could get the right people to the table at the right point in the delivery process with the right tools to give insight, we can revolutionize construction. Yeah. Um, so I learned about Peter's vision in 96. I joined back in 2000. Um, in between there, there was an acquisition by another software company where I moved from the UK to Boston, mm -hmm. continued to work on the tool. Mm -hmm. um, about 2000, Peter came back into the equation and said, we'd like to buy the technology yeah. from, from the technology company. And I, myself and two others moved from Boston down to, to Dallas to work directly for Peter Beck. Okay. Totally off subject. And I'm going to just throw a, a curveball in here. What was it like when you first moved over to the U.S.? Well, I came over for college, <laughs> and uh, it was like my world had been turned upside down. Yeah. Divided by a common language. <laughs> yeah. There's so many stories where I would say things, and people look at me, and they go, what did he just say? <laughs> and there's so many where I was like, you do what? <laughs> yeah. You put butter on, on, on popcorn? <laughs> popcorn? Yeah. That's yeah. like cardboard. Why, why would you put butter on cardboard and, and love it? I, I just don't get it. So yeah, it was it was my world was turned upside down. I love it. I grew up in uh, South America most of my childhood, and so when I moved back to America, it was in '98. Uh, it was a culture shock for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know if it would be as much coming from England to. to well, America, I'm but... showing my age. I mean, it was pre-internet, so I would speak <laughs> to my parents once a month, and yeah. it was limited to ten minutes because yeah. it was one pound, which was like two dollars per minute. Mm -hmm. so it was like twenty bucks for a ten minute call. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was no like send an email, there was no mm -hmm. FaceTime, there was none of that. It was um, write a letter. And my mother's kept my letters. Um, where do you buy washing powder? And, um, you know, I was known as the guy in pink yeah. in, my, uh, in, my, in my team because I didn't know how to wash. So I mixed all the colors together. So, yeah. We all, everyone makes that mistake in college. That's, I don't think yeah. kids know how to do wash. No. That's a whole other topic. Yeah. So, so it was culture cool. shock and then just learning what the real world's about. It was, it was definitely different. Yeah. John, I know you and I talked offline uh, when we found out that Stuart was going to be able to do an interview with us. And we talked about kind of Beck Tech's mission statement, um, kind of our vision. And you really had some good insight, but then also some good questions that you wanted to ask Stuart for that. Sure. So, you know, the mission statement that Beck Tech has revolutionized the industry, changed the future. So I'm assuming that came from those initial conversations with Peter and he helped craft that vision. How do you feel Beck Technology is holding up that vision and that mission statement as a company? Yeah, so it's revolutionized the industry, create the future. And go, go back to 96. Um, you know, 94, 96, it, it was very much a hard bid kind of world that construction was in. Contractors were brought to the table. 
really wants was a stack of drawings that are being fully engineered, fully designed, give us a prize, now build it. And um, as I said, Peter had this different view and his view really came out of his own personal experience. It was a project up in Philadelphia that unfortunately a person lost their life on the job mm. and um, it ended up in, in court and, you know, unfortunately a person died. You, mm. you never get that person back, but fortunately for the Beck group, um, they lived to fight another day. They were not responsible for the, the individual's death. But I think out of that was a big step back, which is if, if people are making decisions that put our people's lives at risk, there's a problem. Mm. And um, the only way that you can do that is be involved in the decisions yeah. and try to give insight. And, you know, the insight is often it's cost, it's schedule, it's safety. Um, yeah. But out of that comes this opportunity, which is if we can give you insight into all three of those and you can rapidly make decisions to study different alternates, instead of just it's, it's this, now go build it, it's the best version of this. And so um, Peter's view was if we get in designers and contractors involved very early, not only can we build it, we can come up with the best version of it. And the best version being whatever criteria the owner wants. And his, his view was that instead of being paid as a commodity, build it, be paid for the value that we bring, which is to really make the world a better place for everybody to live by building better buildings. Yeah. And so that was really the, the impetus to um, revolutionizing the industry and creating the future is it's a whole different way of thinking. And um, that's what inspired me. It sort of goes back to my grandfather. Mm -hmm. It's a blank sheet. It's a canvas. Don't just build it. Build the best version of whatever it can be. Build the best data center. Build the best warehouse, the best office, the best school um, based on whatever criteria defines best. Hmm. So I'd like to jump on that real quick. So when you say the best, so again, it's not just the cheapest, the fastest, the award winning. It could be any combination of those. It's just providing the, the decision points to make those decisions for every party to be able to be benefit from. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think the world that we're in in construction, we, we look at it as faster, cheaper, better. And I, I, th I think better is the one where to me, it's like beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but it's it's looking at buildings differently. It's not building a building and valuing the building on it, it was cheaper or it was delivered faster. It's what's the impact on that building on society at large. If you're gonna build a hospital and the purpose of a hospital is to save lives, how can we put more beds in a hospital to save more lives? If it's a school and the purpose of a school is to educate you know, our, our kids and create the, the next generation better than our own generation, how do we help them retain information? How do we put daylight in, which has statistically been proven to help retention of information or whatever design element helps with a better outcome? It's, it's, it's really thinking about the outcome as opposed to construction, how much does it cost or how quick does it take to build? Yeah, I love that. And I, I want to actually jump back on something you said, because I came out of one of the one of my jobs was a safety director for many years. And we talked about this, John, on one of our first episodes was how pre-construction a lot of times obviously is focused on the estimator or, or all of that. But there's such a piece to pre-construction um, that's 
I mean, it encompasses everything and then safety is a big deal, uh, a big deal or a big part of that. Should and be. Um, yeah, should be correct. Yeah, should be. And I noticed in my history or my in my past companies that it wasn't always. Uh, and so then you're you're kind of caught with your pants down, if, if I can say later on in the project thinking, oh, we didn't budget for this or we didn't think about this. And so I'm excited. I know in a, in a later pro in a later uh, episode, we're going to we're going to specifically talk about safety within pre-construction. So uh, I'm excited about that. But um, one of the things that that um, I've heard you talk about, I actually talk about it too, when I'm, when I'm speaking to other people is, uh, pre-construction data, data life cycle. I can never get that word right. Pre-construction data life cycle. Um, I've been told you coined that phrase. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. There's, there's some truth to that. Okay. Um, like, like most things, it's a team sport. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to know who give credit to when I talk about it. <laughs> our marketing team. That's, I love it. I love it. So when our listeners hear pre-construction data lifecycle, what do they think? What, what, what should they think? What are we, what are we trying to translate that into in the way we work? Well, let, let, let me take one big step back and I promise I'll answer it directly. So I think as an industry, you, you sort of touched on this a little bit. You know, we, we don't necessarily focus on the things that we all believe we should focus on. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we are bad people uh, making bad decisions. It's that we don't have a lot of time and the tools and processes that we follow are not optimal. And as a result, we focus on what I'm going to call low value activities. Mm -hmm. We spend a lot of time counting things and measuring things and formatting things, all really, really, really important activities. Yeah. But as a result of spending time on those activities, we don't spend a lot of time analyzing and proactively problem solving. Mm. It's usually here's a set of plans or an idea for a project. What does it cost? Mm -hmm. How long is it going to take? Um, and what I see is an opportunity, which is if we can start to automate some of those low value activities, or in some cases, even eliminate some of those activities, the time savings will give us an opportunity to focus on higher value activities. Mm -hmm. When I think about PDL, pre-construction data lifecycle, it's really data to support high value activities. It's the ability to capture all of the data that goes into um, a construction project from inception all the way through to um, occupancy. Yeah. It can be, you know, what were the options that we studied at the very beginning that we threw away? The throwaways have value, yeah. yet we don't do anything with it today. They sort of just you know, disappear. Nobody remembers what we did. Yeah. Um, we tend to be deliverable centric as an industry, focused on the next version of the estimate. Mm -hmm. And we're less, less um, concerned or less, um, I don't know, detailed about capturing well, what went into that deliverable. Yeah. So to me, PDL is this, let's, let's acknowledge this value in what went into each of the deliverables or what went into the decision making. And let's capture it. So it's unit prices, it's quantities, it's value engineering options, it's which estimator did what and when. Um, it's everything that we do during pre-construction, capture it. There's, there's value in data. Seamlessly hand it off to construction, whatever the final budget was. Um, at the end of the project, being able to bring back quantities and costs. Yeah. And for every iteration of the project, have data. And then I think it's using that data 
to tee up benchmarking capabilities or patterns. Mm. Um, back to sort of my computer science background, there's, there's value in, in big data sets and looking for patterns. What are the things that you typically study? If it's 10, 15, 20 value engineering options, why can't the computer help the estimator? These are the 10 or 20 that you should start with. Yeah. Um, using your historical data, historically, when we've studied those options, here's what the patterns that we've seen, the range of prices, the range of you know, materials that you use. So for me, PDL is capturing data throughout the life of the project and then using it to look for patterns and, and automation opportunities to help pre-con teams on the next project yeah. get a, a jump start. What do you, I mean, what do you think, construction's been around for a long time, pre-construction's been around for a long time. Why do you think we're, we're just having, I don't want to say we're just having this conversation now, you've been having this conversation for a while, but why don't you think construction has, has, um, invested into into this type of thing before well i, th I think it, i think it's always hard right i mean it's it's timing it's opportunity and it's choices um i think we're in a, a unique time where other industries are ahead of us um but we have an opportunity in our industry to take advantage of what has been out there um, our industry is is a very low margin high risk uh, industry. Yeah. We don't often have opportunities to be on the, the leading edge. Mm. So I think a lot of the technologies are now proven in other industries. And I think that the timing is right for construction. Yeah. 10 years ago, I don't think technology was where it was. Um, I don't think the expectations of the customer are where they're at. Mm -hmm. Our customers um, or construction companies' customers, yeah. their expectations mm -hmm. is we're in a Google world. Yeah, I type it in and I, I want to know immediate. I, I, I want I want immediacy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, with the the sort of the the downturn in two thousand and nine, the Bear Stearns, I think people expect transparency. They 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 want to know not just it costs a hundred million dollars, but I want to see where that hundred million dollars is. Yeah. So I think you you couple technology with owner expectations about real time and transparency. I feel like now is mm. the time. And then um, while I see a lot of construction companies moving away from hard bid, it's still there. Mm -hmm. It's It might not be hard bid in the 1970 cents, yeah. you know, sealed bidding, although there's still some of that, but there's still contractors getting involved late in the game. Mm -hmm. And I think you're also starting to see more and more contractors recognizing if they get involved earlier, they can bring more value. Right. So I just, I just look at it as it's, it's this, confluence of timing opportunity and then contractors making ch choices yeah um that it's now yeah so i have one follow-up to that yeah um, the hard bid market has been there forever i do think it is diminishing or, yes. or getting a little bit smaller in terms of percentage of the overall market but how do we overcome that mindset of I'm going to wait until the last second and give people the least amount of information to make high value, high risk decisions off of. Um, do you feel that the, the industry as a whole is changing from that from I'm going to give the least amount of information possible to let's give 
more than enough information. Let's give all the relevant information and not trap people in mistakes, but enable them to make something collectively that's a little bit better. I do believe that. I, I think if you look at um, collaborative forms of delivery, they are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, design build. I know IPD, um, as it's defined by you know AIA, is probably not the 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 predominant form of construction delivery. But I think it's hard to argue that CM at risk design build is becoming a bigger and bigger bigger portion. And I think contractors are doing a much better job at, at you know, communicating the value of collaboration. And I think you're seeing more and more owners recognizing that it's not it's not the bid amount that really is the final amount. It's it's after you get change ordered. And I think what you see with collaborative forms of delivery is yes, the initial number may be higher. But I think what you're finding is there's less variability from that high number, and I think that's what a lot of owners want. They want they want uh, a number they can go to the bank with and rely on, and know that they're they're getting a certain quality building for that certain dollar amount. Cost certainty. Cost certainty. Of, yeah. Exactly. Well, we could I think keep having this conversation forever. This is by far the longest um, podcast we've we've done so far. So. With that in mind, I only have one final question. It's kind of putting you on the spot. But if you think through the people that are listening to pre-construction podcasts, right? You have estimators, senior pre-con managers, maybe directors of pre-construction, VPs, et cetera. Um, what's just something that, that, that you can, I guess, what would you say to them as we think about the future of pre-construction? Um, and, you know, what's important to us as Bechtech, but I mean, kind of taking Bechtech out of the picture, but just in pre-construction in general. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, it blows my mind the number of kids that come out of construction programs and their first role in a, in a job is is a set of digital plans and here's some digital crayons. Now go sketch. And what I'm saying is I think there are opportunities today to accelerate the careers of young construction men and women. Mm -hmm. I think there's a huge opportunity in the market to get the best talent that leads to winning the most work, that leads to the highest retention rate. And I think there's a huge competitive advantage for contractors today. If you can rethink your pre-construction process, think about bringing on young people and getting them up to speed in, in a shorter period of time. And I think if you are willing to take that leap of faith on there's a better way, I think you'll benefit for it for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. That's that's great. Very well said. Um, John, I think that's a good place to um, end the podcast. Do you have any other final thoughts? No, I think it's been a good one. Well, for all of you guys who listen, we really appreciate it. Um, if you do want to look up any further information, you can go to www.beck-technology.com. Uh, as your host, Jared, really appreciate your time. Have a great day.